Good morning. All right. If there's any kids here that are not up front, you can come up front. I got chairs here. There's chairs there. I'm mainly going to be talking to you guys down here. Adults get to listen in. But we are going to learn from the Bible. Are we getting the Brown family? Are they coming? (laughs) They don't have to. So in our series on prayer, while you guys have been downstairs in Sunday school, up here we've been learning about prayer. And the first thing that we learned was that Jesus has done everything that we need for us to be able to pray and our prayers to be powerful. And then last week, while you guys were downstairs in Sunday school, up here all the adults were learning that to be effective in prayer, we need to pray through the righteousness of Jesus. And we need to keep our lives obedient to Jesus and follow his instruction. And that helps our prayer. makes it easier for us to pray because we feel like ready to come into the presence of God. And it covers us with the blessing of Jesus and his righteousness so that we can talk to God. That's what we learned so far. And now we're going to learn one more thing from Jesus today. Well, a few things from Jesus. The important thing to remember is as you are doing anything to do with your relationship with God, it's always best to start with Jesus. And one of the things that Jesus did for his disciples, the people that followed him in his day, and for us, is he taught us how to pray. And so he showed his disciples how to pray, and then he taught them a prayer so that they would know how to pray. Now, the neat thing about Jesus is if you just look at his life, if you're reading the first four books of the New Testament, the Gospels, you see that Jesus prayed all the time. Prayer was super important to Jesus He prayed at the beginning of his ministry. He prayed before he chose his helpers. He prayed before he went to the cross. He prayed while he was on the cross. He prayed before he began his public ministry. He prayed before he taught anybody. He prayed while he was teaching other people. He prayed after he was done teaching people. He prayed before healing crowds. He prayed when he fed the 5,000 people. He prayed before healing the man who was deaf and mute. He prayed before bringing the dead back to life. So one of the things you see, just if you look at Jesus's life, is he prayed and he prayed and he prayed and he prayed and he prayed to his Father in heaven. He prayed to God. And so when we follow Jesus, we take his example and we pray like he did. So how did Jesus pray? There's three things that I want you to keep in mind, how Jesus prepared. Do you guys ever prepare for anything? Is preparation good? Like, what do you prepare for? For your birthday party, right. You wanted to have a great party. You wanted it to be good, and you wanted everybody to have fun, and you wanted it to be effective, so you prepared for it. Do you guys ever, anybody in dance? Is anybody doing dance right now? Oh, we got a bunch of dancers. Nice. Wow. Everybody's in dance. Nice. If you have a competition coming up, do you ever prepare for the competition, for the show? Do you practice and prepare? And you prepare because you want your dance to go right, right? Any hockey players here? Anybody likes to play hockey? Yeah, we got some hockey players. Yeah, i got to prepare, right? So preparation is good. Well, this is how Jesus taught his disciples how to prepare. The first thing that he did is he set aside a quiet time. And to help you remember, just point to your wrist. First thing is you need a quiet time, right? If you're trying to talk to somebody, especially talk to them quietly, it's really hard during a noisy activity. So the first thing Jesus taught his disciples was to 
have a quiet time when they prayed. And most of the time when Jesus, when we read about Jesus praying, he prayed in the morning. Because when you first wake up in the morning and everybody's still trying to sleep and everybody's still kind of quiet and nobody's come into your room yet, that's a good time to pray. But some people like to pray at night too. That's fine. But the key thing here is to find a quiet time. Mark 135 says, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. So he found a quiet time to pray. And it doesn't have to be a long time that's quiet. Jesus' prayer times were sometimes short, sometimes long, sometimes he prayed all night, it says. But when Jesus prayed, it was always at a quiet time. And then the other thing is that we need to find a quiet place. Are you noticing a theme here? The key word is quiet. Quiet time, and this action, quiet place. So I need to find a quiet time, I need to find a quiet place. And so just before teaching the disciples' prayer, Jesus said, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And so most often when Jesus prays, he removed himself. It says in Luke 5.16, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. So if you're going to pray and follow Jesus' example, you find a quiet time and you find a quiet place. Now, a quiet place can be anywhere, but it helps in creating a quiet time and a quiet place as you make it the same place in your house all the time. And so some people will have a specific room or a specific chair or a specific a place in their house where they will always go to pray because they know that is the quiet time and the quiet place. And it almost becomes a reminder that when you're in that place, that is when you pray. And so Jesus has taught his disciples to have a quiet time and a quiet place without distraction. The third thing is we need a quiet mind. So what are some things that you guys think about a lot during the day? You're going through the day. What fills your mind? What are you guys thinking about? Right now, what do you think about? Yes? You think about God during the day. That's great. I think you knew that was the right answer. <laughs> yes? Her party, exactly. We think about the stuff that's coming up in our lives, right? We think about all the exciting things that are going to happen. You know, I see you guys playing in the schoolyard when I drive by because my house is right out there by the school. So I know you guys are thinking about building snowmen, throwing snow at each other, pushing each other off of hills of snow, and various all snow things related, right? So you're thinking about that during the day. Sometimes you're thinking about school. You're thinking about homework. You're thinking about a test that's coming up. You're thinking about chores you have to do. You're thinking about something your friend said to you and it's bothered you. Or you're thinking about some exciting thing that's going to come up, like a dance event or hockey. But the idea is that we need a quiet mind in order to pray to God, right? The purpose of a quiet mind is to let God cover all the worries and all the troubles and all the excitement of the day before we start to talk to him and give you peace. And so God wants all of our attention so that all parts of us can know peace. In Romans 8, 6, Paul says, the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. And so we find a quiet time, a quiet place, and we quiet our mind to prepare to play, to pray. Um, in another letter Paul wrote, he said that those who trust in Jesus even have the mind of Christ Jesus. So if you trust Jesus with your life, then you can actually have his mind. And he will enter into your mind when you pray. 
so that you know you are in communion with God. And in another letter, Paul wrote, do not worry about anything, but when praying, tell God about those things, and the peace of God will guard your heart and mind in Jesus. So all those things that you're worried about, the dance recital coming up, or the test that you have, or what your brother or sister said to you, or you know, the fact that your chores aren't done, and your mom and dad are going to be upset, all of those things you bring to God and you say, I need your peace, God, in my life. And maybe that's more for the adults to hear, but I know that sometimes you guys worry too. You worry about new friends at school and you worry about whether you fit in and all of that stuff. You can take all of those worries and you can bring them to God and he will quiet your mind. So those are the three ways that Jesus prepared. A quiet time, a quiet place, and a quiet mind. And then he actually gave his disciples a prayer, which we read right at the start of the service. He gave them a prayer and he said, when you pray, follow this pattern. Now it doesn't mean you have to pray this prayer exactly word for word every time. But in this prayer, what I want you to see and what we're going to talk about really quickly is that there are five things that the prayer tells us that we can come to God for. It tells us about God's person, and they all start with P, because it wouldn't be a good sermon if all the words didn't start with the same letter. So they all start with P, which we can remember because it's for prayer. The prayer tells us about God's person, about God's purpose, about God's provision, about his pardon, and about his protection. So even though it's a very, very short prayer, it's complete, and it tells us everything we need to know and how we should be praying each time we pray. And this is the prayer. We said it together. Can you say it with me? I think I have it up there. Is it up there? Yeah. Let's start with the Our Father. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. All right. So that is the Lord's Prayer. Or it's really better to be called the Disciples' Prayer. Because, I mean, Jesus, he knew how to pray. So he was giving this prayer to the disciples. So you can call it the Lord's Prayer or you can call it the Disciples' Prayer. But remember those five things we're going to look for. Does it, Jesus taught his disciples to recognize God's purpose, person participate in his purpose, receive his provision, and his pardon, and his protection. So the first thing is God's person, and that's the first part. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. This is pretty cool. At various times, if you read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, at various times, God gives us a different name to call him. Did you know that? Very, very early on, God was known by certain names, and then he would reveal a new name or a new way that he could be talked to. And here he says, Jesus says, you can call him Father. And this is the first time that God basically changed his name or gave us this way of talking to him. Never in the Old Testament did they talk about him this way. In John 1, 12, it says that to all who received him, to those who believed in him, he gave the right to become children of God. So we become his children, and we get to call him Father. And you kids even have a special advantage over us adults over approaching God in this way, because Jesus said to the adults when he was teaching them, he said, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child can't even enter into it. Yes, what's your question? Um, children's prayers are Children's prayers are stronger than adults' prayers. I don't know that he said that, but I don't disagree with you. Some children's prayers can definitely be stronger than adults' prayers. That is exactly what I just quoted in Luke 18. That's what he said. 
He said, whoever, you adults, if you don't receive my kingdom the way these children's do, you won't even get into it. And so that is important, that we have a childlike approach to our Father in heaven. But remember, way back, I was telling you how he changes his name. So way back in Exodus chapter 6, God spoke to Moses. And he said this, he said, I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. He said his name was El Shaddai. But then he said to Moses, he said, by my name, Yahweh, I did not make myself known. So he said, there was a whole stretch of hundreds of years where nobody knew that my name was Yahweh. They knew me as God Almighty, El Shaddai. That's how they talked to me, and that's what I told them to call me. And then he says to Moses, I'm giving you a new name. You can call me Yahweh. And here, Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray. It's almost as if he's saying, you know, Abraham knew God as El Shaddai, and Moses knew God as Yahweh, but you can pray now to God as Father. That's how you know him. And so Jesus is giving us a new way to talk to God and a new title for God, Father. And at the very same time, though, Jesus says that our Father is in heaven and his name is hallowed, and that means holy and to be worshipped. So God is our Father, but he's still to be honored. He's still to be respected. He's still to be glorified and worshipped, and he should receive all of our honor. Just like you should honor your own parents, but like a million times more than that. And so Jesus wants us right off the bat to have the right picture of God in mind when we start to pray. God is our loving Father, and we can talk to him just like we talk to our father or mother. Secondly, we have God's purpose. So Jesus, when he's telling his disciples, he's saying, pray to your Father in heaven, and then pray for his purposes. You notice he says, your kingdom come, your will be done as it, on earth as it is in heaven. And so when Jesus tells the disciples to pray, notice, notice what he doesn't tell them. He doesn't say, when you pray, pray, our Father who art in heaven, build my kingdom. I want my kingdom to be built here on earth and make sure my kingdom gets really big and grows really strong. That's what I want from you. No, no, Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done. When we're praying most of the time, we're saying, God, our will isn't very good and your will or what you want is better for us. And we don't normally think of ourselves as creating a kingdom, but if you just stop and think about your life and your parents' life and you think of the life of adults... All the things we do, we kind of create our own little kingdom. You know, we get our house, and we get our property, and we get our car, and we get our things, and we get our job, and we build all these things around us, and we build up our kingdom. But God says when we pray, Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. He says, don't pray to build up your kingdom. Pray that God's kingdom will be built up. And God will sometimes ask us to do things that at first seem like they will cost us our kingdom, but we should pray that even if it looks like it's going to cost us our kingdom— If it works for your kingdom, we want to do it, God. And this applied even to Jesus. It says in Matthew 26, 39, that going a little farther on, he fell on his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. So even Jesus prayed to say, It's not about what I need or what I want or what is good for me. It's about what is good for you and your kingdom and good for the world. And so when we pray, we recognize God's purpose in building his kingdom and his will in our life, not our will. The third thing that we get from this prayer is God's provision. Jesus teaches his disciples, he says, give us today our daily bread. And there's two things I want to know about this. It's us and daily. So Jesus doesn't say, give me today my bread. 
He says, give us today our daily bread. He's teaching the disciples that when we're praying, we're actually praying in community. We're praying for everybody around us. We're always praying to our Father together with other people. And we're praying for us and our daily bread. In Matthew 26, Jesus taught a lawyer who had asked him a question about what the greatest commandment was in the law. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And you think, what does this have to do with giving us today our daily bread? How do you love your neighbor as yourself? What do you do for yourself? What are some things you do for yourself? Yep. You clean your room. Yep. So you keep your room clean. Yeah. What else do you do? You make breakfast for yourself. Yeah, exactly. You make your own breakfast and you make sure you feed yourself. What do your parents do for you? Do they make sure there's food in the fridge? Yeah? And that you got clothes to wear? That's awesome. And do you make peanut butter and jam sandwiches for them too? Oh, that's good. Man, you can come over to my house. Make me some peanut butter and jam sandwiches. What else do you do? All the things that you need are there, yeah. So one of the ways we love ourselves is that we care for ourselves. We make sure we have enough to eat. We make sure there's food in our fridge. We make sure that we have good clothes. We make sure that we have shelter and your parents care for you that way. And so when Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, we have to stop and think, are we making sure that our neighbor has food in their fridge? Are we making sure that our neighbor has clothes to wear? Are we making sure that our neighbor has shelter? I mean, we make sure that we have a job Are we making sure that our neighbors have a job and a place to stay? So as we love ourselves, we're supposed to love others. And that's what connects to this in our provision. We go to God and we say, give us today our daily bread. It's us together. We're praying for all of us to be provided for and to receive God's provision. And the other thing, too, is that it says daily. Give us this day, not this month. Give us, we never say, we never sit and pray and we say, give us this month our monthly needs. Or give us this year what I need for the year. Because if we did that, then we could just pray like once a year. Right? You could pray once a year, January 1st. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Give us this year my yearly needs. There, I'm done. But God, Jesus reminds his disciples, this is daily bread we're asking for. So keep coming to Jesus and to God every day and asking for what I need today. Because you need it today, and God wants you to keep coming back every day and praying this prayer and asking for provision. The other thing that reminds us is that this day has different needs. What you need today is totally different than what you'll need tomorrow and the day after that. And so we're reminded when we pray that we're praying for the things we need that day, always coming into God's presence. And then finally, no, not finally, penultimately, there's a big word for you. Any of you kids know what penultimate means? Okay, it's word of the day, penultimate. It means not the final or highest thing, but the thing right before the final or highest thing. It's second. It's the penultimate thing, not the ultimate thing. So penultimately, you never know what you're going to learn on a Sunday morning, do you? So the second final thing is God's pardon. Jesus tells his disciples, he says, when you pray, say, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. So Jesus wants the disciples to remember that we are forgiven and that because we are forgiven, then we should share that forgiveness with others. 
The Apostle Paul says this in Colossians 3.13. He says, make allowances for each other's fault and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, and so you must forgive others. And so when Jesus gives this example prayer to the disciples, he says, just keep remembering this every day. You are forgiven, and you need to forgive others their debts. Now, why does he say debt? Sometimes it says trespasses, and sometimes it says debts. Do you guys know what a debt is? What's a debt? Yep. You've heard of it, okay. Do you know what a debt is? If you're borrowing money from the bank and you've got to pay it back, exactly. That's how we normally think of a debt is in terms of money. But what else could be a debt? What if, uh, you know, you're playing punch buggy in the back of the car and your sister punches you in the arm and says, punch buggy blue. Then in your mind you're thinking, I owe her a punch in the arm, right? It's not money but I owe her a punch in the arm. And then you're looking for the next punch buggy so you can punch her back. Now, I'm not advocating violence in the back seat of the car. I'm just trying to think of common everyday occurrences that happen. Or you might be in somebody's debt because you did something and you feel like you owe them or they feel like you owe them. And, what, and so what happens is we do something to hurt somebody's feelings or we do something to offend somebody and we're put in their debt. And other people are put in our debt because you think, oh, they owe me an apology for that. You know, they owe me because of what they did. And Jesus says here, no, 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 you forgive those debts. You forgive those debts because I've forgiven you. Or trespasses. Anybody know what trespass is? Have you heard the word trespass? You ever see a sign that says no trespassing? What does that mean? Don't enter in there, right? Don't step on this turf. This is my turf. I don't want you stepping on it. So do you think... Do you think when Jesus says, you know, forgive each other their trespasses because you've been forgiven your trespasses, do you think he's talking about, like, walking on somebody's property? No, it's because we all have turf, right? We all have turf that we think is ours. Don't come into my room. Don't touch my toys. You know, don't offend me in this way or that way. You've stepped on me. And Jesus says, no, we have to forgive people when they step on our turf and forgive them because we have been forgiven. So when we pray, Jesus says, ask God to remind us and forgive us of the things we've done wrong that put us in debt and trespass on other people when we've stepped on them. And remember, Jesus has forgiven all of our debts and hurts and stepping on his turf and then forgive others who have done the same to us and love them instead of being angry at them. And then finally, the ultimate, God's protection. And it says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And this part gets a little bit tricky, so you've got to follow along closely now. Maybe the adults do too, because the word that Jesus uses here for temptation means both test and tempt. And I'm going to simplify a much longer explanation that you guys don't really need to get into. First of all, we're going to look at something that Jesus' brother teaches us. Jesus' brother James says that when tempted, no one should say God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So when we, in this prayer, when Jesus uses this word that can sometimes be translated tempt or sometimes be translated test, we have to be careful that we're understanding that God never makes it hard for us to obey him. God never says, I'm going to try and trip you up. I'm going to try and make you sin. God doesn't do that. What Jesus is saying is don't lead us into a place or keep us away from the places where we can be tested. We need to be humble and ask for God's protection in our lives so that we aren't put in situations where we are tempted by the evil one or by things that are evil. 
And on the other hand, testing is something that God does that is good for us in order for us to know what we've learned and what we still need to learn. Do you know that a test is a good thing? When your teacher gets up in class and says, today we're going to have a test, do you guys all go, yay, I love tests, they're good things? Well, you should, because tests are actually good things. Tests are what the teachers use and what we use to find out all the things we've learned and what we still have to learn. If we didn't have a test, then we wouldn't know that. Sometimes you'll go to the doctor, and the doctor will say, we've got to perform some tests, and you get very nervous. But the test is a good thing, because the test will tell you whether there's something wrong with you or something not wrong with you, and you want to know that. So tempting is bad, but testing is good. Yep. Yeah. If something's wrong, yeah, and you might need what's in the IV. You need that, that liquid. Yeah, exactly. So testing is good, right? Testing is something that God will sometimes do to us. He won't tempt us, but he will test us in order to show us what we've learned and what we still need to learn. And it helps us grow. It helps you. Any kind of test, whether you test your mind or test your strength, it helps you get smarter. It helps you get stronger. And you want to get stronger and smarter. So God does test, and we enjoy that. James says in 1-2, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials or tests of many kinds. And Peter says that it actually purifies us. In 1 Peter 1-6, he says, So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so... Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, to be humble for God's protection, to protect us from temptation, but at the same time, we remember that his testing is good and that God is always using the testing for our benefit and for his glory. And so this part of the prayer is asking that God protect us from temptation and that we're humble. We never go into our prayer saying, throw everything at me, God, I can handle it. We always go into our prayer saying, God, I need your protection. I need you to make sure that I'm not tempted and that your tests are good for me. And so Jesus has taught us that we need a quiet time, a quiet place, a quiet mind. And after we have our quiet time and our quiet place and our quiet mind, we can pray for these five things. We can pray this kind of a prayer. Now, in each of these five different things, this is going to be your homework, okay? Your mom and dad are going to help you with this. When you go home, what I want you to do is take this model prayer about God's person and his purpose and his provision and his pardon and his protection, and I want you to make it special to you. So when you pray to God as a father, what would you call him? What would you say about how great and good God is? And when you pray, your will be done and your kingdom be built, then what does that mean in your life? What part of your will are you going to set aside and say, I want this, but God, I would rather have what you want? You can write down what it is that makes the prayer personal to you. And then thirdly, when you say, God, this day, this is what I need, you can write in there personally, and your mom and dad can help you. This is the thing I need, Lord. This is what I want from you. Not just bread and clothes and shelter, but I want courage for my next test, or I want to be, uh, find a new friend at school, or I want to be kind to somebody that I wasn't kind to before. Because God can provide that, and then ask God's forgiveness, and then be able to forgive others. So somebody has a debt that you think they owe you, that person owes me an apology, or I'm going to get that person back at school, you can forgive that person and write that in there personally. 
And then finally, God's protection. Ask God to help you through what you are going through right now. And so all of you can take this model prayer that Jesus made, and you can turn it into your prayer. And you can do that every day. I like to do it with like a notepad and a pencil. I actually have things that I write down. Actually, I put it in my phone now a lot too. But if you write it down and make it personal, it follows this pattern, and it's complete, but it's personal to you. Do you guys think you can do that with your parents this week? I bet you can. You ask them, they'll help you. All right. We are going to go to communion. And so I'm going to send you back to your parents, back to sit in your regular seats. And then as a whole church together, we are going to take communion, just like a regular communion Sunday. Thank you guys for listening so well and for learning how to pray from Jesus.